You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. First Corinthians chapter 10, this morning, First Corinthians chapter number 10, in your Bibles, men, can I put my plug in again here for the Beast Feast, if you pay by this coming Wednesday, uh, then it is $40 a person, it's 30 if you're 12 and under, but uh, after that it goes up, so I'd like you to get signed up today, at least get your name on the paper, um, and, if, uh, and we have some folks who have said, Pastor, if somebody needs their way paid, maybe just some financial hardship, uh, we have folks that have paid the way for several men and young men. So if you'd like to be a part of that, but maybe right now is not the best time financially, there's no shame in that. We live in a 2024 economy in California, so there's no shame in that. Please just let me know. We want you there more than we want you know, the, the, the cost. So we want you to be there. And uh, so pick up one of these in the foyer, men. It's got all the information you need. It is this coming Friday and Saturday. And then Pastor Al Bartlett will be with us all day Sunday, and boy, we're, it, you're going to be blessed. He's going to sing for us next Sunday morning, and uh, his grandfather, as I've mentioned before, his grandfather was the one that wrote Victory in Jesus, and he's got a great story about how that all was written, and you will be richly blessed, so please be there for that. First Corinthians chapter <clears throat> number 10, we are getting back into our series that uh, we had before Christmas, because during Christmas time... I want to preach about Christmas. So we're getting back into that. And uh, what we were doing, if you're not familiar, you're new to us or visiting, or uh, maybe you just don't remember because the messages weren't that good. Uh, what we were doing was we were studying in 1 Corinthians one chapter a week on the idea of the, uh, a, the culture of a church that pleases God. What type of church pleases God? We're not, we're not here to please the entire community of Long Beach. We're not here to please the world with how we do church. It's not our church. It's God's church. It's Christ's church. He's the head of the church. So we want to do church in the way that he wants us to. Now, he does give some liberty in that, but uh, we want to make sure we're doing things that please the Lord. In the First Corinthians book that we're in, Paul was writing the believers at Corinth, and they were not doing a lot of things that please the Lord. So we have looked at several things. And when we're talking about culture, what do we mean by that? We're talking about what the atmosphere of the church is. What is the attitude of our church, the actions, what we do? What are our accepted beliefs as a church? We want all of that to be pleasing to God. Now, let me take 60 seconds to remind you of what each chapter we've talked about. Chapter 1, we saw that their agreement among the attenders is something that pleases the Lord. We saw in chapter 2, real faith. And a real God is something that pleases the Lord. Chapter 3, growing in grace. In chapter 4, we talked about being committed to the cause. In chapter 5, we talked about stopping the spread of sin. And that pleases the Lord. Chapter 6 was transforming tarnished testimonies. Chapter 7 was happy, healthy homes. And hopefully these are jogging some memories here. Chapter 8 was caring for other Christians. And chapter 9 was running your race, running your race. So that's where we ended in the last week of November. So long ago. Now we're back. Chapter 10. Chapter 10. What are we talking about in chapter 10? Let's read verses 1 through 15 and see what sticks out to you. And then we'll talk about some things this morning. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1, 
Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, saying that basically the forefathers of the Jewish people, they, they came out of Egypt. They, they, they came across the Red Sea, they, they, you know, the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And they, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Remember when Moses was in the wilderness, and God said, speak unto the rock, and the water will come out. And Moses was frustrated with people, and probably didn't like crowds like I don't. And anyway, he was frustrated with the people, and he took his rod, and he smote it twice. And, and he was breaking the picture, because the spiritual rock is Jesus. And the picture in the Bible is that, the, is that Jesus was smitten once for our sins. And Moses broke that with just the double tap there. And uh, so it was just pleasing to the Lord. Verse 5, and with many of them, God was not well pleased. God wasn't pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust or desire after evil things as they also lusted or desired. Neither be idolaters, people worshiping idols, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication or sexual sins, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ. Uh, there's a picture there of Jesus in the Old Testament. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, pay attention to these three verses. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and that's our theme for the month, right? Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. We'll stop right there. And I want to speak this morning about this issue that Paul is addressing Amongst the Corinthian believers there, he's, he's pointing the believers in this church back to the children of Israel in the wilderness to teach some lessons. And what we're going to talk about this morning is the idea of triumph over temptation. Triumph over temptation. And we'll see this in scripture here this morning, and uh, hopefully the Lord will bless us today and give us just some good thoughts from the word of God. So let's pray and ask him to do that. Father, thank you for church. Thank you that because you live, life is worth living. Because you live, we have hope. Because you live, we can face whatever comes tomorrow because we have a God that rules and reigns. We have a faithful God, a God that raises the sun every morning. And that, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. Bless us this morning. Bless our guests and visitors, our visiting missionary who will be preaching tonight, uh, Brother Agamalian. And Lord, we just ask for your blessings upon this time we have together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul, look at verse chapter 9. We were in chapter 10. Look at the last verse of chapter 9, which leads into verse in chapter 10. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, 
When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul is saying, look, I, I don't want to end my life in the wrong way. I don't want to get off track and fall to temptation and be a castaway. What's it mean to be a castaway? It means to be worthless, to be of no value. And he's saying, I don't want to be that for Christ. I want God to be able to use my life for as long as God gives me breath. And then he goes into chapter 10 and says, basically, and I want the same for you. I don't want you guys falling to temptation. I don't want you guys uh, that have been led to the Lord, that are serving, that are in church. I don't want you to be cast away either. Now, look at verses 1 through 4. If you just did, did a quick glance over them, you would notice in all of those verses the word all. It says all pass through the sea. Verse 2, all were baptized. Verse 3, they did all eat the same spiritual meat. Verse 4, did all drink the same spiritual drink. But then in verses 5 through uh, uh, 10, it mentions some or many. In verse 5, many of them God was not well pleased. Verse 7, some of them were idolaters. Verse 8, some of them committed fornication. Verse 9, some of them were tempting Christ. And verse 10, some of them also murmured. So it's not all of them. They were, now, they were all in the same boat, but only some of them were rocking the boat. Can we just say it that way? They were all in the same boat, but only some of them were causing the problem. So God wasn't just saying, you know, all of you are wicked and evil, I'm going to kill you all. No, that wasn't it. Some of the people were doing wrong things, and pretty egregious things, actually. So what we're looking at here is, is a, a group of people. Some were doing well, some were not. Paul is saying, don't be like the ones that were doing wrong and giving into temptation. So how could these newer Christians keep from falling to temptation like the Israelites did? Well, I think we could ask the same thing of us. How can we keep from falling into temptation like they did? Now, I'll just say this. Everybody here is tempted. Everybody here is tempted. Y'all better help me this morning. The message can be four hours long. Everybody here is tempted at some point. You're tempted when you get in your car to be angry. My wife says, why do you always use the illustration? Because that's a temptation for me, all right? But uh, you're tempted when you, you know, there's temptation all the time. Turn on the TV, there's temptation. Uh, uh, you know, drive down the road, there's billboards, there's temptation. Uh, you know, there's temptation to, to say something you shouldn't say, to be sarcastic or be mean. Sometimes there's a temptation to take something that's not yours. Sometimes there's a temptation to say something that is not true. There's, there's temptation all around us. There's temptation to lift ourselves up in pride and believe that we're better than we really are. There is temptation everywhere for all of us. So how do we beat that? How do we overcome that? And, and, and what are we going to do about it? Look what Paul does here. First of all, I want you to see but dealing with triumph over temptation, he talks about the examples. The first thing he does, he, he talks about the examples. Look, if you would, at verse 6. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, not, not, that we would not desire evil things like they did. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> now, all these things happen unto them, for in samples, which is the same word as examples for us, and they are written for admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So what's admonition? We know what an example is, right? An example. We know what that is. But what's admonition? Admonition is teaching. It was written for our teaching. It was written for our, the word is instruction. It was written for us as a warning, as a warning. That's what he's saying here. So these, these Israelites were examples, all right, just some of them weren't good ones. 
some of them weren't very good examples, all right? Paul was saying, remember, hey, uh, uh, Corinth, would you remember the murmuring Israelites and don't be like them? Hey, Corinth, would you remember what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness and don't do that? Hey, Corinth, would you remember that some of them were idolaters? God is speaking to them. God is giving them tablets of stone with Ten Commandments on it, and they're down there worshiping a calf that they made at the same time, dancing naked around the calf. Like, would you not do that, please? That's what he's kind of getting across here. Look at the examples. Some of them, not all of them, some of them were committing serious sins. It says that they lusted after evil things. They committed idolatry. They committed fornication. They tempted Christ. They murmured and complained. But then they faced the punishment for it too. They faced the punishment for it too. Your parents, ever, you that are parents, or maybe if you had parents, you ever, you ever like have your parents, or if you are a parent, say something like talking to your kids, hey, I don't want you to be like little Johnny down the street over here, okay? We're not raising Johnny. We're raising you, all right? And you're not going to be like that kid. We don't like that kid. Don't be like that kid. Anybody have parents that kind of would like use other kids as examples? You're, hey, you're not going to be like them. You're not gonna, or, or then they come up with like these stories that you don't know if they're true or not. You have no idea if they're true. They're more urban myth than truth. My grandmother, okay, she was mama in Arkansas, okay? I had a mama and a nana and a papa and a papa, all right? So you say, how do you keep that differentiated? I don't know who they are anyway, but uh, no, I remember, I remember getting in the car with my dad's mom, and man, she was a firecracker. She, was, uh, she smoked a pack of cigarettes and drank Coke every day of her life, and uh, man, it just, that's, I think she could beat up most men in the room today. But anyway, she was a small young lady, and she just packed a wallop, and I remember getting in her car, this old caprice or something, and driving down the road. And, uh, and we didn't have air conditioner. Our air conditioner looked like this. That was our air conditioner. What we say, the kids are like, what is this, Pastor, that you speak of? We had to crank the window down. That was the, in Arkansas, that was the air conditioning, okay? There, we didn't have it. And so I remember sitting in the back seat, I'm probably five or six years old, five or six years old. And I'm cranking the window down, and I'm putting my hand out the window. The only danger is the flying insects, okay? That's the only danger in Arkansas, putting your hand out the window, okay? My grandmother, God bless her, she's in heaven now. I don't know if this is true. I think it's a myth. I think she may have made it up on the spot. She said, Eli, get your hand back in the car. And I was like, okay, you know, all right, I'm five or six. And, she, and I was like, okay, what, what, why, mama? She's like, I know a boy who stuck his hand out the window and a car came by and ripped his whole hand clean off. Like, how far out was he sticking it? Did he have, like, go-go gadget arms? And he was, like, trying to high-five a passing car? Like, what? That's not true. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> Let me do some news feed stories back in Arkansas in the 80s, all right? But she said that. I, I still remember. It traumatized me. It's 35 years ago, folks. But uh, I still remember that. Get your hand back in the car. I, there was a boy who put his hand out the window, and a car came by and ripped his whole hand clean off. And I know him. I was like... Okay, guess what I did not do? I didn't put my hand out the car window anymore. Why? Because my grandmother lied to me. I mean, oh, she uh, told me a story. But what was she doing? She was pointing, and, and probably some of you have stories like that in your past, like, you know, your mom or dad or girl. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have some weird ones. Like, I don't even want to get into some of the urban myths my family believed. Like, if you write on your skin, you're going to get diarrhea. Like, that was something that was told me growing up, frequently. 
frequently, okay? And uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to go any further with that. But there was stuff like that growing up where I'm like, I don't think any of this is true, all right? But, but I'm going to honor my parents in this. But, uh, you know, she, th- what was my grandmother? She was pointing to an example, real or imaginative, and saying, don't be like that. Don't do that. I don't want you to be, you know, coming to the pulpit, you know, when you're getting to be a pastor, like one arm, and, oh, there's old Pastor Hook, you know, and I got a hook up here or something. Like, that's not what she wanted for me. Paul is saying, look what happened to them. That's what my grandma's doing. Look what happened to that boy. And Paul is saying, look what happened to them. Look what happened when they gave into temptation. Look what happened when they decided to choose something over God, and God is speaking to them. Don't do that. That's what he's saying. Don't give in. Don't do that. You know one of the best ways to triumph over the temptation in your life? I'll tell you, one of the best ways for you to get victory of the temptation in your life is to think about the punishment that comes because of it. I, I remember as a kid, my, with my, if my mom said, I'm going to tell your dad when he gets home. I was like, mother, I love the halo around my head. No, I didn't want, why? There was, there was punishment coming. And if my mom, who's a tough lady, couldn't handle it, my dad went, and he, you know, he was the son of that, that grandmother that said, rip your hand off. You know, he probably was the one who ripped the hand off or something. I don't know. But I, when, when, you, when you think about what will this cost me, what will, this, what will this bring to my family, what will this do, I tell you, that would do so much more for us to avoid temptation. It was to be serious for a minute. I wish a lot of people would sit down and think about what that affair would cost them. When you have to sit down and tell your kids what happened. I think a lot of people, uh, it, it, would, it would cost them, uh, it, it, would, it would be worth it to think, hey, what would happen if I lied at work and cheated and stole money? Hey, what would happen if I did this and the police came? What would happen if I uh, lied on that test and I never got caught? Well, guess what? The Lord sees that still. You think about the punishment. You think about the cost. And Paul is directing their eyes and minds to examples of people who made bad decisions and paid terrible prices. That's what he's doing here. And by the way, can I just say, if you want to see examples, there's examples all around us everywhere we look of what not to do if we're looking. You know, just watch some of the celebrities and see what not to do. You know, it's the flavor of the month. Who's, who's, who's uh, Taylor Swift dating this month? You know, and who's she going to marry? And then, and then somebody else. And one of our members was like, can we stop getting her on the football games, please? We just want to watch the Chiefs play. We don't want to see. And I don't know. I, I, I'm not getting all that. But, but I'm just saying, and I'm not picking on one or two. The, the, the vast majority of people that we see, we, there are bad examples in some way. If we're looking and if we're smart, we'll see that. And Paul says, look, don't forget the example. Secondly, though, I want you to see he gives the exhortation. Look at verse number 11, uh, verse 12. So he, get, he, he references the examples. Hey, you want to avoid temptation, remember what it cost the Israelites. Then he gives an exhortation in verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed. Why? Lest he fall. Lest he fall. The example, the exhortation is, hey, don't think you're above this. Don't think you're above falling. This could be you. This could be you. One of the ways to tell somebody is in trouble is when they say things like, I would never do something like that. Psh, how could they? Because self-righteousness is a good sign that there is trouble coming your way. 
when you self-righteously judge others and say, I would never do something like they do. No, you'd probably do something worse. We all would, because we're human. When we think that we're above certain sins, when we think we're above that, like we're better than that, we need to be very careful. Because if you remember, there is a great verse in Proverbs, in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a, a fall. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. When you are so sure of your footing, when you're so sure, I would never do something like that. How could they? I, you know, I'm so much better than them. I would never, ever do. You better be careful when you begin to set yourself up like a Pharisee because you're setting yourself up for a fall. The exhortation is never think that you're above it. Realize that you're human. The devil loves to see us puff our chests out. He loves to see us say, I'd never do that devil could never get me on something like that oh you're going to give him a challenge yeah I, I you know I, I don't think that's the wisest thing to do Paul is saying hey you better stand guard you better stay vigilant you better stay on watch man you bet we're all human victory isn't in the bag yet yes Jesus Christ won the victory but you still got to claim it and live it so you better keep track of that I'm not a, I don't watch golf I've tried once or twice. Any golf watchers? I'm not going to make fun of you, but uh, any, any golf watchers? Mrs. Camus, really? You're a golf watcher? All right, who's your favorite golfer? Tell us right now. Yeah, see, you don't watch golf. All right, so, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. And uh, sorry, sorry, Mrs. Camus. Put you on the spot there, okay? But uh, uh, is it, uh, anyway. So, uh, but I, I, anybody else, golfers? I won't pick on you like that. Okay, good, all right. I want to, but I won't. But uh, we've got a few of you that watch golf. Okay, all right, a few of you. And uh, I've tried it, I've dabbled in it, it didn't stick. It's not, I, I can't do it. But I, I do like golf stories, and there's a difference there, I guess. But Arnold Palmer, love his drink, by the way, iced tea and lemonade, great. He probably had nothing to do with it, but it's awesome, all right? But uh, in 1961, I mean, one of the best golfers of all time, 1961, Masters Tournament. The Masters is like, you know, one of the, if not the biggest golf tournament. He's on the final hole. He has a one-stroke lead. He's in the lead. He takes a good tee shot, good shape. He's on the green, and he's getting ready to putt for the win, to win the Masters, get the green jacket, you know, and all that, and uh, the fame and the trophy and everything. As he's walking onto the green, he sees one of his friends along the line there. You know, they have a line where people can stand. And uh, his friend motions him over like that. And so he walks over and his friend says, I want to congratulate you on your victory. He's about to go putt to win the whole thing. And his friend says, I'd like to congratulate you on your victory, Arnold. And Arnold Palmer said, it was at that moment that I knew I lost. I knew I lost my focus. Sure enough, he gets onto the green, misses. Gets next to it, misses again, and finally puts it in. The other guy steps up, nails it. He loses the Masters. Then he killed his friend. No, I'm kidding. He didn't do that. <laughs> he said, I lost, I lost it because I lost my focus. I lost my focus. Keep your eyes on the finish line. That's how, that's how you're going to fall is when you lose that focus. Well, I haven't struggled with that sin in a while. I'm sure I'm over it. No, you, you got to be on guard. You got don't lose your focus. I know of a pastor that, uh, uh, that, that I know, and I, I know his children. I know his, uh, some of his grandchildren. 
He was the pastor of the same church for 55 years. Had a wife that passed away. Kids are serving God. Grandkids are serving God. Good man. I've told stories about him and some of the things that I've heard. He he was a good man. He's with the Lord now. After 55 years of ministry, and I don't even know, he probably would have been in his 70s or 80s at the time, he was immoral with a woman in his church. He wound up marrying her. But the qualifications for pastoring don't allow that sort of thing. After 55, after 55 years, that's how he ended his ministry. And I'll just say this. He was a good man. If he wasn't above it, and if he wasn't safe, then we're not either. So let's stop thinking that, hey, we're just all big and bad. We can handle all the temptation ourselves. No, there's examples. Paul said, you better watch them. And he said, there's an exhortation. You better not think you're above it. But thirdly, I want you to see the escape. <clears throat> my favorite point of the message right here, the escape. Look at verse 13. This happens to be one of my favorite verses in the Bible. There hath no temptation taken you, no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. What's he saying? In other words, you're not facing any temptation that other people don't face. You're not weird. You're not abnormal. Well, I'm tempted to do this and no one else is. That's not true. We're all tempted in the same ways. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you're able. In other words, God is not going to allow any temptation to come into your life that you can't beat. Think about that for a second. But will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. He doesn't take all the temptation out, but he says, though you are tempted, there's a way of escape. Can I just say, look, Adam and Eve in the garden, Eve had some ways of escape. If she was just so hungry, she could have just said, um, I don't need this tree. There's, you know, a thousand other ones over here. Like, there, there was plenty of ways of escape. God always makes ways of escape. Now, remember this. How many of the children of Israel were committing those sins? How many? Some. But not all. Some. But not all. That means that some fell, but, <clears throat> but that means that some were able to live right. So it's telling us there's always an escape route. Look, you don't have to speak like that to your spouse. You don't don't have to talk to her like that or talk to him like that. You don't have to say those words that are ugly. You don't have to mock and make fun of somebody. No, you don't have to. Well, I just got so angry. I couldn't stop myself. Yes, you could have. There was a way of escape that you just didn't take. You don't have to lie on your taxes. The pastor preached on that in, uh, in June. After I've done my taxes. No, you don't have to lie. You don't have to cheat. You don't have to steal. You don't have to lose your temper. You don't have to skip your Bible and prayer. You don't have to look at inappropriate things. You don't have to do any of those things. There's always, there's always, there's always a way of escape. The problem is we just don't take the way of escape. Because temptation isn't tempting if we don't want to do it. And that's what temptation is. It's something that your flesh wants. It's deceitful and says, you will be happier with this. And so then we're like, you know what? I think it's right. I will. But there was an escape. There was an escape. I don't know if you've ever done an escape room. 
I've done an escape room about eight years ago, right before I became pastor. Uh, I was uh, I, one of our, uh, our previous pastor. Uh, we took, he and his wife, my wife and I did, up to, it's called The Basement. It's in northern uh, uh, L.A., and it's an escape room there. And if you've never been to one, you're locked in a room, and uh, you have to find all these clues and puzzles to, you know, to get out. Well, the storyline of this, now this is not pretty, okay? And I don't know that we knew all this, maybe we knew some of it. But the storyline is when you go to this escape room that you have been kidnapped. And so there's this crazy killer who has kid. I know, I know, you're judging me right now. I can feel your self-righteous judgment upon me. And, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, uh, but this, this kidnapper, this killer, kidnaps you and puts you into like some kind of trash compactor. And if you don't solve the, pro- the, the puzzles within 30 minutes, then you are killed. And it's true, you really do die. No, this is not a real thing, okay? But uh, uh, so you get in there and you have to read these different clues and there was like a crawl space where I had to get down on my stomach and pull myself through this and there's water down in there. I'm like, what is this? There's a pipe, and, you know, probably cameras in there watching us, laughing at us the whole time. But we did really well. I will say... I don't mean to brag, but I, I feel like Faith and I carried most of the load there, you know, with that. And, and we got out in, uh, you get 35 minutes, we got out in 24. So we, we lived. We passed. And some of those things were kind of crazy or, or whatever. But, but, you know, it's amazing. I, I remember, like, they, they came into the room and it was like, okay, everything starts now. And somebody came in the room with a hood on and a mask and they said, come with me. You know, and they take you into the, this little elevator almost thing and they put you in there and, and then you're there for 35 minutes or whatever. And so the, the, the key was though, you're supposed to escape. Right? You're, supposed to, you're supposed to get out and run away. Not like, you know, hey, the, the goal is to stay here and be killed. No, you're, you're told to get out and run away, not stand there and fight. You don't have to fight the, the poor employees you know, that are getting $10 an hour. You don't have to fight them. You, know, you just have to get out and run away. And I, I, would t- I tell you that to tell you this. With temptation, so many people try to fight temptation, but you're always told in Scripture to flee it. Escape. What's that imply? Running away. Escape. Get away. Get out. It, it, Paul said in so many books of the Bible, flee temptation in this very book. Go back to chapter 6 and you'll see it. He says, flee temptation, flee fornication, run away from it. And and so many times we would have a lot more victory if instead of just putting up with it and tolerating it, we ran away from it. When was the last time you saw uh, something on your phone, men or women, that you shouldn't see and you just turned your phone off, set it down and walked out of the room? Oh, no, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Uh, I'm not going to give in. You are. (laughs) You're giving in. You know, and it goes for every area of life. God has made a way of escape, but you got to take it and you got to run. That doesn't mean, you know, hey, I'm, I'm tempted, uh, you know, to, to do, I'm going to run out of my house and run down the street. No, not literally. Maybe sometimes literally. Maybe sometimes literally. But run. Flee. Escape the temptation. I want you to see the last thing here is the ending. The ending of the message and the ending of what Paul is saying here. So you want to beat temptation, look at the examples. Think of the punishment. Hey, you want to beat temptation, take the exhortation to believe that you're not above this and you need help and you need a God in your life, absolutely. But also to think of the escape route that God has provided you, a way of every temptation to get out of it. No matter what it is, well, I'm addicted. There's a way of escape. Well, hey, I've been in this for a long time and I can't seem to beat this temptation. No, there's a way of escape. There is a way of escape. But lastly, the ending. Look at verse 14. This is kind of odd that he ends 
this section with this verse. Wherefore, or because of this, my dearly beloved, he cared for these people, flee, there's that word, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now, why is he ending it that way? He's saying, look, look at the examples of these people. Don't do that. Here's the exhortation. Don't think you're above it. Hey, there's a way of escape. So flee from idolatry. Idolatry is where the spiraling starts in our lives. Because what happens is we get our eyes on something that we want more than we want God. And that's what idolatry is. We get our eyes on a temptation. And we want that more than we want God. Well, pastor, there's nothing more than I would want God. I understand that's what our heart says. That's what we, we think. But when that temptation comes up and you choose it, you are choosing that over God. And hey, I'm guilty more than anybody in here probably. We are all guilty at times of doing that. And you know what that is? We have made an idol of whatever it is. And we may not be bowing down and serving it, but in that instance that we gave in, we were saying, I want this more than I want God. So Paul says, flee. Get away from that. No, don't want anything more than you want God. Nothing is more important than God. I've, I like sushi. This is a new development for me. Um, I never liked fish growing up, but I enjoy sushi. Who's with me on the sushi, all right? Who says I'd rather die? No sushi for me. No sushi. All right, several of you. Uh, but uh, you'll come around. Uh, our, next, uh, our next potluck, Beast Feast, is all sushi, all right? And... Uh, no, I'm kidding. I actually, have the, I actually have the menu for Beast Feast, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to blow your mind, guys. It's going to be great. But I just developed this taste for sushi, and I like it. Like, I like poke bowls. That's my new favorite thing in all the world, and it's great. One thing I've never had and never will have is puffer fish. Puffer fish. Now, some of you are like, I'd try it. I'm not doing your funeral. If, if you try puffer fish, there is a clause in our church covenant that you can't have your funeral here. Because that's dumb, all right? And we're not going to do it. So uh, I, I won't do it. I'll have somebody else do your funeral. But, but there are deadly toxins in puffer fish, if you did not know. And they look like little goldfish and, they, you know, this whole thing. But, but uh, they, there's deadly toxins, and even just a few bites can kill you. And, and so the chefs, the Japanese chefs that serve this, I've looked this up. They have to go to training for years to, to learn how to properly prepare and to get the toxins out. You know, you know how we go to like these restaurants around here and it's like an A or a B or a C, you know, like you always think to yourself, who's lying? You know, you go to a restaurant, you're like, this is an F minus and it says A. I don't think so. You know, I'm wondering how many puffer, puffer fish chefs over there are real, you know, but uh, every year, every year people die in Japan because of this. Every single year. Would you believe that? That people die. Uh, and it's sad. It's not even funny. It's sad that people die because they ate the puffer fish. Can I just let you know something? You don't have to eat the puffer fish. Some people are just, I want to live on the edge. Well, guess what? You fell off the edge. You, look, you don't have to eat puffer fish. No one's going to make you. What am I saying? Look, you don't play around with temptation and sin. You got to take it seriously. Don't, don't choose the idols that the devil will put in front of you. And I wonder today... Some of you are here today, and there is a temptation that is beating you up. And the devil is the worst being in existence because he is the tempter one minute, and then he is the accuser the next. 
He is the tempter that says, don't you want to give in? You'd be so much happier if you did this. And in the moment you do, he switches and turns into the accuser and says, how could you? What kind of human are you? No one loves you, especially if they know what you're really like. God hates you. That's what he does. He's horrible. So let's just skip all that. Let's flee the temptation. Think of the examples. Think of what comes from giving into sin. Keep an eye on yourself and stay humble. Take the escape route that God gives you and flee and run away. And then don't play around with sin. Don't, don't want anything more than you want Jesus. Don't want anything more than you want Jesus. And some of you here today, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And maybe t- today is the day you say, you know what, I want Jesus above it all. Jesus first. And I want to accept him as my Savior so I can be in heaven with him forever. Have that victory. Then that's what you need to do.